Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, March 10th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next probably hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes or so as we go over all kinds of things in the world of sports from a betting focus. Happy to have you with me now for this Tuesday edition of the program. We'll start things off with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll chat some NHL. We'll talk some golf with the Players' Championship. We'll talk some NASCAR down in Atlanta. And we'll talk a little bit of college basketball to finish up this segment, which will be a good transition into our second segment today with professional handicapper John Ryan at John Ryan Sports and the number one on Twitter. We'll talk with him about the Big East and the Big Ten Conference tournaments here for this week. Again, no full shows Thursday and Friday this week, so kind of bumping our guests forward a little bit to accommodate them as their schedules permit so so we can talk as much about these conference tournaments as we possibly can. Speaking of the conference tournaments over at bangthebook.com, I've got previews up for, I believe, 27 or so of the conference tournaments. Obviously, some of them already done, some of them finishing up here tonight, a lot of them getting started here today and tomorrow. So you can check those out over at the website. My MLB betting guide is available on Amazon, also in PDF form over at bangthebook.com. And we're still doing daily NBA Daily NHL, weekly golf, tennis, soccer, NASCAR, UFC, you name it, we got it going on over at bangthebook.com. Finally, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio, presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook, BTB, and the number 200 is that promo code, 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook, 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. Two guests on this Tuesday program, and we start things off with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. I, you know, when you said an hour and fifteen minutes, I'm like, all right, I'm ready. And, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, John's on, good. Uh, you know, so you know, John's been doing a lot of stuff. Looking forward to that. Nah, you know what, man? I I bet our listeners would appreciate it if you and I went an hour and 15 minutes. So we got a lot of really positive feedback about our Tuesday shows, and hopefully we can bring you a lot of good information on this one as well. And, uh, Brian, let's start in the NHL here. Five games last night, uh, four one-goal games, one of them a two-goal spread. But maybe we are starting to see this time of the year with a lot of these close lower scoring games maybe it's just some recency bias off of last night but we've talked about this a lot that things really do tighten up in the month of march yeah i'll tell you uh you got to watch the games though i mean it matters uh you know at the end of the uh night you got colorado's uh taking on the kings and the kings are by the way a really good story in the nhl i mean you know hopelessly out of it and they have just flat out taken off they're winning games they're playing with a enthusiasm, I a follow scored a great goal last night. But I, I will tell you this: when this season is said and done, Adam in the West, L.A. is going to ruin somebody's year here. Um, they, they are just—they're on a tootsie roll. You know, they've won six in a row, uh, playing a fun brand of hockey. But you can just throw a blanket over the West. I mean, if you go to the three seed in the Pacific, uh, Calgary. And by the way, I should I maybe should say the three seed in the Central, too, because Dallas has lost five in a row, but they have 82 points. But the three seed in the Pacific is Calgary with 79, followed by Winnipeg 78, Minnesota 77, Vancouver 76, Nashville 76, 
Coyotes lost last night. They've lost a couple in a row. Uh, but I still think can do something with Kemper back in the lineup at 74. I mean, you throw a blanket over these teams here in the home stretch, and the Kings are going to collide with all these teams. And the way they're playing, uh, they're going to they're gonna send someone golfing this year. Well, and the thing about the Kings, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit in my situational article coming out of the All-Star break and the bye weeks, is that they had played a lot more road games than home games. And they have been terrible on the road. They've lost 26 of 36 on the road. They're in a nice stretch here with a lot of home games. I know they went and won on the road at Vegas on March 1st, but they're playing a ton of games at home. And as we know... Teams that go out West usually play three and four on that California swing, generally play a back-to-back in Anaheim and Los Angeles, something like that. So they're really taking advantage of these teams and some of these travel schedules. They've got several more home games coming up before finishing with several games on the road to wrap up the regular season. So again, the schedule just plays such a big part as we've talked about day in and day out. And in fact, a really good article over at The Athletic today from Pierre Lebrun, who talked about you know how teams are kind of saying, look, we'll play some more games in October. We'll play some more weeknight games to not have this condensed schedule at the end of the year. Carolina is playing 16 games in 27 days. Florida played 15 games, I think, in the 29 days of February, something like that. These teams are playing very backloaded schedules here. So, as always, be aware of those situational spots. And I would say to you that, like, somebody like that, uh, it could be, you know, the glass is half full, the glass is half empty. I mean, okay, if you're playing well and you're fighting your way, you know, trying to get in the playoffs, uh, Carolina's the eighth seed right now. Okay, get it done. You fight. Uh, you, you get in a roll and you get in a rhythm and you find your way to get in. I think you could carry that momentum into the playoffs, but believe me, the compacted schedule at some point would catch up to a team that, you know, but, but why, you know, a team like that could maybe win the first round and then go into and get swept or, or mauled in the second round, because at some point, you know, you just hit a wall and I, and I would even throw some other teams to keep an eye on. I mean, my God, Detroit's historically bad, but they've won two in a row. Ottawa is a young team building something for the future. They've won two in a row, but they compete and they play hard every night. Uh, you know, I want to puke uh, with the Sabres. I mean, you know how that goes. But here, watch out. And, I, and I'll just say this. You know, they're all about playing the ping pong balls again in the lottery. But last night, you know, flies under the radar because they're an afterthought. They've been playing without really their, their goalie for however long it's been now, three-plus weeks. Uh, Linus Olmark back in the lineup last night, spectacular against the Caps, uh, specifically in the shootout, and and Buffalo beat Washington. So you know you sit there, and hockey players for the most part, uh, of all the teams, uh, you know all the pro athletes, I think hockey players are far less prone to running for the bus than other guys, and there'll be those nights where they sit there and go, this is our playoff game, and it sounds like a cliche, but believe me. You know, a lot of these teams will embrace embrace the role of spoiler. And by the way, I mean, that's what's going on with the Kings. I mean, they literally, they just said, we're building a foundation. This is the way we want to play uh, moving forward. Uh, and, and young guys are getting a chance to play. And, I mean, there's teams you can you can take a look at. I think they're, you know, Anaheim is 4-4-2 four, four, in their last 10. There are no great shakes. 
But there are nights when they're flying up and down the ice and they, and they play with a bite to their game. So uh, believe me, the teams that have pressure facing the, the teams that are out of it and are playing loose as a goose, those are really dangerous games here in the next three weeks. Yeah, they most definitely are. It's an excellent point to make there. And the teams that are playing 16 games here in the month of March, obviously we're nine days into the month of March already as far as games go. Colorado, Carolina, Edmonton, Minnesota, New Jersey, the New York Islanders, Pittsburgh, Vancouver, and Washington. 16 games in 31 days here in March. And you know, all of these teams are kind of in different spots. Some of these teams have already gone through this playoff grind like a Washington, like a Pittsburgh You've got some teams that are relatively new or don't consistently get into that playoff grind like Colorado, like Vancouver, like Edmonton, especially. So all of these teams are going to handle these situations differently. And like you said, you know, the the pressures of playing games that matter in March, that's, that takes a toll on you mentally, physically, emotionally. These teams that are young are injecting life into the lineup that aren't playing for anything do become very, very dangerous because they're just playing at a breakneck pace. They're trying to go out there, develop creativity, develop chemistry against these teams that tighten up a little bit and maybe a little bit fatigued. Maybe you get some really good underdog prices coming in here, especially in the second half of the month. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, believe me. I mean, if you like if you like the barking dog, too, uh, a lot of these places are offering reverse puck lines, and you can, you can get teams in the 3-4-1 to one range. Uh, in a hockey game, you know, the, you play the dog on the puck line the other way. Uh, you you identify that bad spot. I will tell you, you know, a lot of the things we say um, for football, I, I think I think you can cross over, and a lot of the things and angles you apply in, in all sports, I, they cross over to different sports. They they really do. And I know one thing we'll say a lot of in football, and I know I believe this. Sometimes a team shows me more in defeat. Uh, than they do when they win. And I would say this to you, that Edmonton uh, beat Columbus on Saturday 4-1. They were terrible, and they won the game 4-1. They lost to Vegas last night in overtime. And I'm telling you, McDavid didn't play. Edmonton all of a sudden, I was like, okay, you know, Connor McDavid, blah, blah, blah. McDavid, Dreisaitl, you know, get him there. It's a good story. We're way overachieving. Their defense isn't that good in the goaltending. Uh, right now, I don't think anybody's putting any goalie in the league at the moment. And it's a short window, but if it's sustainable. But don't forget what Bennington did last year. Koskinen for Edmonton is standing on his head. You literally need a pistol to beat this guy right now. The only way you're beating him is through a screen or a deflection. He, he was outlandish last night against Vegas. Uh, Edmonton was, you know. You know, they had Vegas coming in on back-to-back nights, and Vegas carried play the whole night. And they threw the sink at Koskinen, and he was terrific. I'm telling you, Edmonton might be sneaky dangerous when the playoffs get here because they got the great power play. And if the goaltending, if, if Koskinen's doing this, they are not going to be an easy out. Something else I wanted to ask you about here, and, and this is down a completely different track, but... You know, we we saw the announcement in Santa Clara County regarding the Sharks and their home games here coming up, and they're still sort of trying to figure out what to do as far as the coronavirus goes and whether or not they're going to play to an empty building, if they're going to play at a neutral site, if they're going to play those games on the road. And ultimately, you know, it, it may matter to the opponents. I'm not sure exactly who those are. It won't matter to San Jose because they're not playing for anything anyway. But 
as this coronavirus concern spreads, as it becomes, you know, a lot more populated in different areas, different NHL markets, stuff like that. And we have already seen to a degree that attendance has been down in some of these buildings. Do you start to adjust in your mind what home ice advantage means? Or is it just one of those things where there's still the travel schedule and there's still the last change and some of the other advantages of being at home? Yeah, I honestly, I I truly believe for the most part. I mean, I'll, you know, Philly would say differently this year the way they're going. Maybe Vegas in their first year of existence, they're going to be teams that are just dominant on home ice. But I think home ice advantage, um, the the big advantage is the last change. Now in a playoff series, it's a bigger deal because you're playing the same team every other night, so matching up. And if you're finding a formula for success in a series, that that's a big deal. You know, game to game in the regular season, I don't think it's that big a deal. Um, so I, I, I think the, the home ice advantage is overblown. I mean, the goaltending is, is the great equalizer. Um, you know, in some respects, I, and I, I know there were teams that embraced that role. Uh, they, 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 you're better off starting on the road. You know, I mean, you, you go and steal one of the first two, you – you're kind of grabbing a series by the throat, especially if you win the first one, you know, then and then, then you're playing with house money in the second game and all the pressures on the home team. Uh, and if you ever win that, then literally all you're looking to do is get a split at home, but you've literally almost for the most part, won the series in the first two games by starting on the road, by the way, uh, your San Jose thing, really talk about a bizarre, uh, setup here. It really, at least for the league, the good fortune here is, they're on the road now for four games uh, until March 19th. They play the Bruins at home uh, on the 21st. So, you know, that, that's not going to change anybody's world there. Then they go back on the road for three, and then they, they have a home game with Arizona on the 29th, play at the Kings, and then home games with the Stars and the Ducks. So the Arizona and Dallas games, really the rest of the way – uh, only two of those games in San Jose could conceivably, I think, have like massive impact, like maybe, you know, impacting a team that's fighting to get in the playoffs. So that's the one bit of good news on the San Jose front. Well, as we take a look here at this Tuesday night card, speaking of a team fighting, the Philadelphia Flyers, man, they've got a game in hand. They can take over first place in the Metropolitan tonight. They can also win their 10th straight game if they're victorious against the Boston Bruins, who have by and large been the best team in the Eastern Conference here throughout the course of the season. So that's your spotlight game tonight. It's kind of a money line pick em type scenario where you pay in a little bit of juice on both sides, but the game is effectively a coin flip here between Boston and Philadelphia. What do you think about that matchup tonight? Well, I mean, I would say this. It's Philly or nothing. Uh, you know, they've won nine in a row. So the streak alone... You know, as you're looking at them, and, and if anything, the streak is like, well, you know, you know, all good things come to an end. But but the biggest thing is, you know, these guys are 25, 5, and 4 at home. And, you know, Carter Hart is, you know, home and away. There's a dichotomy there, but the, the kid's spectacular at home. Uh, so I, I, don't, I, think you're, I think you're playing a game of jacks on the train tracks if you – you know, don't bet the Flyers at home. I, I, it kind of sticks out. The other one would be something of a similar ilk is Toronto. And I, I don't know what you do with Toronto. 
you know, these guys, just when you think they're hopelessly out of it and they can't get out of their own way, then then they start winning again. And, and here we go on another three-game bender or, where they can't get out of their own way. And, you know, Tampa Bay's coming in here. Now, you know, Tampa Bay, they're six points back of the Bruins. Probably not going to catch them. But you would say not necessarily insurmountable just yet. But you're, you're telling me, you know, with Toronto, who you can't trust, and you're getting you're getting Tampa Bay minus a dime. I, you know, I, I again, I'm I, Tampa's the better team, right? Is there is there any doubt who the better team is? I mean, I I think the answer clearly is no. Um, I think you'd have to look at at Tampa. But the, this is the this is the kind of game Toronto wins. You're going, oh, these guys are a mess, and then all of a sudden, bam, they they, they show up. But I I'd, I'd be definitely looking at Tampa here. Um, I I think I think Toronto's doing their level best to keep Florida and some other teams in this. Late game out west here in British Columbia, the Islanders in Vancouver, and, and these are two teams in free fall mode. Mm. Islanders have lost six straight. Canucks have lost seven of ten. Uh, they're just falling like a rock there in the Pacific Division to the point where now we don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs. When they were leading this division, I believe, around the trade deadline. So they've really, really struggled here of late. So two teams going in opposite direction. Well, two teams going in the same direction here. But one of them has to win this game, obviously. So what are you kind of thinking about that one tonight? Well, I mean, believe me, I've I've gotten several teams hideously wrong this year uh, in terms of, you know, I, I mean, the, the Sharks free fall was just, I, just, I don't know. I don't know who saw that coming. Uh, but Vancouver, my preseason thought on Vancouver was this is a good young team. A lot of nice pieces. I think they're heading the right way. Uh, I think they'll be in it for the long haul. But I bet you they... They spit the bit at the end, and Vancouver's starting. To, or Vancouver's really going down that road now. Now the big deal is not having Markstrom has just really torched them. The one that is stupefying to me is the Islanders falling off the map, uh, losing six in a row. They play you know good defensive brand of hockey, decent goaltending. Trotz is a great coach. You know the the funny thing is as bad as they are today. If the light bulb goes on and they play well going into the playoffs, I still think the style of play they play could be really annoying for teams in the postseason. But right now, it's one of these things. Because you get a fresh start, right? I mean, you start all over in the postseason. But I don't know. You find somebody's offering a three-way line and play it, play the game to end at a tie in, regu- in, you know, in regulation. Because how do you trust either one of them at the moment? All right, so we talked a little bit about Buffalo and how they get Allmark back and how maybe now, you know, even though it looks like they're out of the playoff picture, they may be a team that you kind of want to back a little bit because they should start playing better. We talked about the Kings having won six in a row and how you know, they're one of those teams just kind of playing free and easy and, and sort of figuring it out on the fly here to a degree. Any other teams that you feel like are kind of in a, a right spot to get hot, maybe rattle a few in a row off here? Yeah, they fell short last night. I still had this bizarre feeling that Arizona, the thing that is really problematic is they don't score. But I, I think, you know, Kemper finds a groove. Kemper is a guy, I think, is is a guy that can get hot. Um, I, Nashville is kind of hanging around. Uh, the, the one, I tell you, we've been making money on, Adam, and I, on various platforms and on my daily hockey show, it, it's been... It's been the better part of a month 
talking about this, and it it literally been an ATM machine, and that's the Minnesota Wild are an over team. I'm out, and they are and they're spectacular on the road. I mean they they coughed up a lung, had a bad game against the Kings Saturday. Uh, you know, then we're talking about how good the Kings are playing. They lost seven three. Then they went and played the Ducks, and that game was five four. You're like Anaheim, Minnesota, five four. Now Minnesota is. They're like a cockroach. You can't kill them. I mean, and oh, by the way, they're the team that's in the hunt that made a coaching change. And you tell me what it is about the NHL. Teams that make the midseason coaching change, it works. You know, and and if they get in, they're not going to be an easy out either. They're going, there's everything about their game is sketchy, but the but the, their ability to win on the road is impressive. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and one other quick note there about Nashville. I, I saw a lot of positive stuff about UC Saros, the goaltender here for the Predators, playing very, very well since the transition to John Hines, who was, of course, hired to replace Another Peter Laviolette. Change. So that's, uh, you know, again, a hot goaltender, especially this time of the year, can really carry a team a long way, to say the least. Um, sorry, I, just, I saw an interesting bit of news here that, in fact, they canceled the Ivy League conference tournament because of coronavirus. So and Yale I, automatically gets in, even though Harvard, the two seed, hosting the conference tournament. So that would oh, have been pretty interesting. Wow. They also canceled the uh, world championships in Halifax this year. Uh, so, yeah, I, honestly, buddy, I you tell me how this is all going to shake out. This is a, you know, it's a real fluid thing. And, you know, hey, next week we got March Madness in here. And I know there, are, and I'm supposed to be out uh, down at the Golden Nugget, and um, you know, doing the radio shows, and uh, having a great time down there with our buddy Tony Miller, and watching all the games. And he and other places, they've had people calling in, and you know, that had made reservations. You know, and then you know, some of them are canceling. And I, I think more than the uh, the gathering, uh, which is still something you got to consider. You know, having the large gatherings is. I think the the concerns over flying is is going to be a big thing. But honestly, every day as this thing moves forward, what's going to happen? Uh, you know, I mean, this, we talk sports, man. We you know, we we have fun talking sports. This is serious stuff. And what, you know, what ultimately? I mean, we've already done it, right? You talk about San Jose and hockey. What's going to happen with all these these big sporting events? It's it's crazy, man. I have no, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, you think about, obviously there's all these conference tournaments and, you know, places like Nashville with the SEC tournament. You got a couple out there in Vegas again this week with the Pac-12 and the WAC. Uh, you know, obviously you just finished up some in Vegas, the Mountain West and um, you know, the West Coast Conference final tonight. You can have a lot of people going a lot of different places, a lot of people canceling a lot of different things. I was supposed to go see Pearl Jam in Baltimore later this month. Pearl Jam's canceled the entire first leg of their tour. So I don't know when they're going to uh, reschedule that. But, you know, you also think down to, you know, the final four and the national championship game. I mean, that's supposed to be, what, 65, 70, 75,000 people going to that? You know, you sort of wonder how that's going to play out. Attendance at these NASCAR races, UFC events, all kinds of different things. Uh, I mean, mean, the NFL's not... The NFL's not, no, no, you know, plans are still a go. Well, okay, plans are still a go today. Uh, but, you know, the NFL draft's coming to Vegas. Yeah. I mean, and I think that thing's going to be by the fountains of the Bellagio down there. I mean, 
You know, literally, you have, you have 300,000, whatever, you know, a couple hundred thousand people down there going bananas or whatever. I, you know, who knows in six weeks what we're talking about? Well, and God love Vegas. I mean, I love Vegas. I, I go at least three times a year pretty much. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I know it's one of the most unsanitary places in the world. I mean, you're sitting there at the table, you know, shuffling those checks, playing with those chips and all that, and those don't get washed. Those don't get clean. You know, you got tons oh. of people in and out of everywhere. Well, money, money's the big thing. They're saying, oh, yeah. you know, the, the exchange in, uh, exchange in money's a big thing, yeah. It, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, we've seen – uh, you know, Serie A and the Italian Soccer League, they've just completely ceased games for right now. That's probably going to continue to be a thing over in Europe. It, it's nuts. I mean, it's great. You uh, saw Chicago State didn't play their last two conference games. I mean, they're terrible, and they were going to lose them anyway. But they didn't want to go up to Seattle and play a game. You know, I who knows what happens with the XFL schedule? I mean, this is – it's nuts. The uncertainty is – Oh, hey, buddy, I'm doing a hockey watch party last night out at Sunset Station. And all the things they tell you, you know, and nice guy, guy comes up, he goes, this is great. You know, we love it. And we give you know, jerseys away and all kinds of, this is great. You know what you guys do here, but the nice guy never told you first time he'd been at the day, blah, 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 sticks his hand out. And I, I, just, I stick my hand out and shake the guy's hand, you know, and I'm, and I'm part of me going, you know, a doesn't this guy have a TV and B I'm sitting there going, well, what am I doing? You know? And I shake the guy's hand. But I mean, I mean, literally, I'm Usain Bolt to the bathroom, you know, to wash your hands. I mean, it's insane. This is this is absolutely insane. What's going on? Yeah, and and I mean, who knows? Obviously, how long this will drag out, and you know, which uh, which sporting events are impacted, and obviously, you know, lives are being lost, and and lives are being significantly impacted. Obviously, our show in the context of sports, so we're you know we're trying to talk about it in that regard, but. Uh, it is. Uh, it seems like it's probably one of those things that'll get worse before it gets better. And you know, a lot of conferences and leagues now trying to be as proactive as possible, and that's going to dictate a lot of things. Because you know, I mean, like you said, you know, we're, we're kind of on schedules here with well, you know, the, NBA, the rest of the NBA regular season going into the playoffs, NHL going into the playoffs, Major League Baseball starts. You know, in uh, what sixteen days? I mean, we're on schedules here with these things, and, and this is going to throw a lot of stuff off. And you know, obviously, you certainly want to err on the side of caution as much as you possibly can. But, you know, from a betting standpoint, which, you know, is, is you know, the tone of our show. I mean, there could be some some crazy things happening, to be sure. Oh, I, I mean, I just as an aside very quickly, because it has nothing to do with the betting. But, um, you know, for two and a half or three years now, let's call it Vegas with the hockey team here. And now they're, they're now the players, media is not going to be able to go in the rooms anymore. And I and I I. Honestly, I'm on board with that. I, I think it's a joke what the NHL's done. Uh, the, the, I don't know where the Pro Hockey Writers Association is, you know, where you go in a room after a game and there are three guys there. Well, wait a minute, where's where's everybody? You know, it, it, it's it's ridiculous. It's no way to cover a team, and that's that's league-wide. But I would say to you, you I'd go out there, and i go in the room. I'm interviewing these guys. This is like every day for three years, me. I mean, I got the Perel. I mean, walking. I mean, hockey rooms are the biggest contagion in the world, right? I mean, you know, they go on a trip, they get a flu, the team gets the flu. I mean, for three years, I'm walking in and out of there. It was a germaphobe to begin with. Perel, you know, walk out of there. I, you know, that. And then uh, at New Year's Day, I ended up. I got the flu New Year's Day. So I mean, I'm I'm under the weather for a good 
four days, but who knows how long it's with you. I, I didn't go to hockey practices. Now, I had, I'm like, I don't want to go in there and make these guys sick. I mean, I'm not saying I'm like some saint, but I'm certainly a courteous sick guy. You know, I wasn't about to go in the room when I wasn't feeling well. And, 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 and God forbid somebody on the hockey team gets it and then something like that goes around the room. I didn't go, I didn't go over there for 10 days. Then that's, you know, but I bet you there are people that just, ah, it's no big deal. And, you know, somebody would go in there and, and conceivably could make them sick. So yeah, I understand them putting a blanket around these guys and, and do your level best to keep guys healthy. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to see how it all plays out and, you know, how much worse it gets. And, and hopefully, you know, it doesn't get a whole lot worse than it seems to be trending right now. But uh, I guess to bring this back to something that's hopefully some better news here, the Players' Championship, the stadium course down at TPC Sawgrass, the signature event here for the PGA Tour. Obviously, you've got the majors, but this is the signature event for the players. $15 million prize purse. million to the winner of this one. 80 official world golf ranking points as well. This is a premium premier big time tournament to say the least. Rory, your favorite, continuing his string of top fives. He's seven to one. John Rahm in the 11 to one range. Justin Thomas, 14 to one. DeShambo, 16 to one. I can't tell you the last time we had Dustin Johnson at 20 to one, but that's the case here this week. Bunch of great players. He's 25 in Vegas. Wow. DJ, DJ, yeah. No Tiger, but strong, strong field here for the players. Before we talk about some guys specifically that you and I like this week, what types of players do you look for at Sawgrass? Anybody. Good enough. <laughs> it's that kind of course. I I can virtually guarantee you that there'll be a guy. I mean, I I could I could probably go as nuts and say 150 to one, but I will I won't go that high. I'll I'll, I'll guarantee you a, a player that's 100 to one or higher is on the first page of the leaderboard Sunday morning, uh, within three or four shots of the lead with a chance to win. It's that kind of course. Uh, yeah, who uh, Craig Perks, right? <laughs> Craig Perks wins this thing. Um, you you think? Who is it's a hot hand. It's it's a high risk, high reward kind of course. Somebody can post a number on Sunday, uh, and you put a number on the board, and some some guys coming in with a, a two three shot lead, and you got to go to the island hole and play eighteen. You know, some guy sitting in the clubhouse can win this thing. Uh, I, I think you go. I think you go grenade hunting here. But there are two chalks. I, I would not I, clearly. Uh, McElroy defending champ, amazing. You know, top five after top five, uh, really spit the bit Sunday. But the conditions were brutal. And oh, by the way, I got to tell you, hats off to the PGA Tour and that Florida swing, the Honda Classic, and then uh, last week at Bay Hill. How much fun is that to watch? Those were like majors. I mean, these guys were just life and death to get par on every hole. I think that is so entertaining, so much more entertaining than when the, the winning score is 26 under par. I, it's not even a contest. The best player wins the tournament you know, when the conditions are like that. that was, those two weeks were a treat. Well, yeah, I mean, it's crazy because next week, the Valspar Championship at Innisbrook, that's not a course where guys go super low either. That's a uh-huh. single-digit winning score kind of course. So it's crazy to think that this week, 
maybe the easiest course of the Florida swing, and it's TPC Sawgrass, and it's That's the right. Players' Championship. But you, and the weather, do, the weather's going to be good too, bud. I mean, seventy six ish every day. It's it's like partly sunny, partly cloudy, uh, and on the weekend the wind bumps up from like nine miles an hour to maybe twelve miles an hour. So if the wind's twelve, that means you probably get gusts occasionally, fifteen to twenty. Uh, there's a lot of water on that course, so you know the the wind. I think could be a slight factor on the weekend, but the weather. A lot of times the weather can be a real issue there. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case here this year. Now, look, we have had some very, very good players that have won this recently. Rory's the defending champ. Webb Simpson won it two years ago. And you know, really over the last two, three years, Webb Simpson's been playing the best golf of his career. Jason Day's won this. Ricky Fowler. Martin Keimer's got a win here. Tiger Woods twice. Matt Kuchar. But you also have Tim Clark and KJ Choi and Siwoo Kim and Yep, some of the guys that finished runner-up here too. I mean, Jim Furyk was the runner-up last year. He Jim had a Furyk. he had a big shot to win. He was in the clubhouse. He was he had a big shot to win that last year. And, and he was the runner-up back in 2014 when Jim Furyk was a, a different player at that point in time. But you know, a guy like Jimmy Walker was the runner-up in 2018. Furyk, Walker, Kim, those guys, 200, 300 to one out there in the market this time around. You mentioned there are a couple of shorter prices you like here this week. Who are those guys? I I don't think you can go any further uh, than John Rahm. I mean, uh, if you give me John Rahm in a matchup against McElroy, I'm in. Uh, uh, last year, if you remember, you know Rahm. I said that was hilarious. It, it, he it's it's kind of the nature of the beast of his game, uh, and I think he's getting better with his emotions. I think he's done a great job, maybe since that moment. But I don't know if you remember last year. He's in contention. And I think it was Saturday. He may have been leading. And the par 5-11th is that dog leg left over water. And he's either in the bunker or he was in the rough. And his caddy is standing there begging him, don't hit the shot. Lay up, lay up, lay up. They're having this running debate, and the caddy is trying to save him from himself. And Rum insists and goes for it, puts it in the water, and then turns around and starts screaming and yelling at the caddy. (laughs) And he unraveled. Uh, I think he learned a a big lesson that day. I I think John Rum. Uh, with the par fives, his length, uh, his putting, I, I, I think John Rahm at twelve to one. You, you know, I'm not, I'm not in that game, but I, I'm, I'm in on John Rahm. Uh, the other guy, from a current form perspective, I got to tell you, last week I know we, we, we mentioned uh, on our short list last week we mentioned Terrell Hatton, and we'll get to him in a moment. Uh, but we also mentioned Sung J M, and now the kid's playing with house money because he finally kicked the door down. This kid's a machine. He just plays. He lives out of hotels. He doesn't have a house, so he's like, I might as well just go live in a hotel and golf and make money. But now he now he, he knows how to win, and he's fearless. Uh, and I think he's doing a better job of mitigating the disasters, and he had a monster shot uh, to win last week, and he came up just short. So, you know, from a current form perspective, so JM at 25-1, to 1, uh, certainly a guy you could look at. Yeah, I like a different guy in that 25-1 to 1 range here. I like Patrick Cantley. You know, Patrick Cantley, a guy here – sixth in strokes gained on approach and you know distance off the tee isn't as important here 
as it is in a lot of other courses. That's not to say that Cantlay can't put it out there, but he's a very, very good approach player. Sixth in strokes gained tee to green. Hasn't been playing a whole lot, so he's maybe kind of an afterthought to a degree, but second in GIR percentage, greens in regulation percentage. That's really important here at a place like Sawgrass where you, know, you actually need birdies. You know, Last week we talked about it. Par was going to be a good score on a lot of those holes. This week, you've got to make some birdies. I think Cantley can get there with the GIRs. Uh, and, you know, the President's Cup angle has been really, really good, too. He doesn't have a win yet, and he did play in the President's Cup. Guys that came off the President's Cup, you've mentioned this several times over, yeah. have picked up wins here early on. Maybe this is the week here for Cantley at 25-1. to 1. A Terrific player. Shows up on the big stage. I, I can't argue, uh, you know, with any of that. I, it's fairways and greens, bud. I mean, fairways and greens that you got to play from the short grass here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, and we'll watch during the week, you know, how penal will the rough be? Uh, but it's fairways and greens. If you, I think if if you're, you're playing from the short grass, all, you know, if you're the one hitting the fairway all the time, I mean, you're, you're, you're on my short list. Um, you know, it's funny. You, you, you look at some of these guys, Hitting it a mile sounds great, but if you hit it some of this cabbage, uh, your advantage is gone. I'll tell you another guy I like real quickly here, Gary Woodland. He, I mean, he's playing pretty well now, too. He was off last week, but eighth two weeks ago at the Honda, 12th at the WGC Mexico. Again, another one of those President's Cup guys that I feel like you know has got a good chance to get one here early on. 16th in strokes gained approach, 21st in strokes gained tee to green, 6th in GIRs. Hasn't putted well, which is obviously a problem, but he's getting there. He's getting to the dance floor in position to get himself some birdies. Maybe he has to settle for the two-putt par. I Gary Woodland, also not a bad win player if that kicks up a little bit, too. 40-1, to 1, he's kind of intriguing to me. I can't argue, argue the case, and I, I think the, the, the U.S. Open, and he's contended again since. A lot of these guys you know, win that first major and they vaporize. Uh, his length, and if he has a good week with the flat stick, uh, you know certainly he, he has an opportunity. I, I just, again, I, I think you, you go swinging for the fences again. Uh, uh, if memory serves, too, wasn't Ian Poulter? I played Ian Poulter last week, and he, he failed miserably. Um, but I think Ian Poulter actually contended. If it was it last year? Was he in the hunt for a long time? But I know 2017, uh, he was the runner-up. There you go. Two-time runner-up here, 2009. Yeah, it, yeah I mean it, that that was, a, and he's a bulldog. Uh, you know, Poulter, I think you could take a look at. Don't forget the year Fowler had the great comeback and then the incredible playoff. Just, just out of curiosity, I did this to my buddy Cam Stewart. We do the hockey betting podcast that you can get on my Twitter uh, at Brian Blessing, which, which we're having great fun with. But we do a golf thing too, and he and I follow this stuff religiously. It's, it's amazing. I don't know what I did six minutes ago, but I have a weird knack of remembering sporting events for whatever reason. But I, I threw I threw this at him and he didn't get it. And I, it shocked me because he he's all over this stuff. Do you remember who uh, who Fowler was knee deep in contention with that day in that playoff? Oh man, uh, and he's on he's on my ticket this week for that very reason. Sergio, Kevin Kisner, Kevin Kisner, Kevin Kisner's another guy that's he's got that bulldog mentality, and. He he not he's not long, but he's accurate, I, and he's one of these guys plays from the short grass. He, I think he's got the the demeanor, because I'll tell you, you, you need you need a pair to win this tournament. No, no, that's that's definitely true. That's very very true. Um, 
you know, and it's one of those things too, where, like you said, maybe you want to take some shots here, even though this is such a top heavy field and obviously a very, very good field up and down, you know, you do want to try and take some price plays here and some shots, because like you said, guys are going to be in contention for this thing that have very, very long prices. You can always come back and get a Bryson DeChambeau at, you know, maybe 10 or 12 to one. If he's a couple shots back on Sunday, something like that. Some big positions here may not be a bad idea, but before we step away from golf here, I got to give you your props for Terrell Hatton last week. Great call by you. Well, and I have two guys for futures for the Masters that I bet I bet one very early in the fall and one a little later in the fall. I got Matthew Fitzpatrick at one hundred twenty-five to one, and he's he's kind of there. Is he had a great final round, by the way, Sunday at Bay Hill. So we'll see how that shakes out when he gets there. I, I love the Euros in, at the Masters. I, I just think that they're brought they're brought into the equation a lot more. And the other guy was when he won the Turkish Open. I bet Terrell Hatton. I mean, I, I think I told the story. He's doing the post interview. I think, and it, it was the richest. If I'm not mistaken, it was the, the Turkish Open. And for whatever reason, this thing was, I think it was worth even more money than the Dubai stuff. It was like a $2 million event he won. And he wins in a playoff, and they're, they're interviewing him. And he says, you know, hey, you get the win, and you the big payday, and the this and the that. And the first words out of his mouth, yeah, the trophy's nice, the money's fine. He says, the highlight for me is I can't wait, in his words, I can't wait for the day uh, to go to the Postal. And the invitation to the Masters comes. It's going to be the happiest day of my life. I ran to the phone. I ran to the phone and bet Terrell Hatton at 150 to one to win the Masters. He's not, and after the win this week, he's down to 80 to one. I still think that's an overlay. So the last time you saw him, he wins the Turkish Open. He has a wrist problem. He's off for three months. He comes back with no idea what to do at the WGC of Mexico. And he's right there deep on Sunday with a chance to win that and then wins at Bay Hill. <laughs> I, and I got, you're telling me I got this guy at 150 to one and he's still 80 to one. Uh, I, he should be down in the 50 to one range. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about those two guys chances. Uh, you know, when we uh, get to the Masters. So, um, I, oh, by the way, can I throw one more at you real quick? Absolutely. All right. I lived in morbid fear this entire week. I, I'm going to give myself a mini pat on the back. And believe me, I can be a complete boxer ox. But I have no life, and I love the golf, and I watch all this stuff. And uh, again, talking to Cam, this thing we were doing, this is about three weeks ago I said this. I mean, just like the President's Cup thing, we said, to you, I said, hey, watch these guys coming out of the President. And sure enough, right, they're all, they're all winning. Three weeks ago, uh, I, I go, I'm watching the golf, and I'm like, really? That's interesting. I'm watching this Sung Kang kid. And, it, and I see... He's got Zach Johnson's old caddy. Now, remember all the big events Zach Johnson went in? His caddy's the guy that, that flops around. He's holding the flag stick, and he does the, the bird thing with the arms. You, ever, you, you know who I'm talking about? He's yeah. an older guy. Great great caddy. But he, he, when, when Johnson would make, make a birdie putt, he, he'd do the flailing arms, you know, like he's a bird flying. And I, I know I'm going, no kidding. That guy's on, because Zach Johnson said, I time different voice, you know, make the change. I'm going, this guy's been down the road before. That's a great get for that kid, Sun King. That's a great caddy. 
And he's sitting there, and he, I mean, believe me, the guts he showed on uh, this tournament this past week, he was making six-footer after eight-footer, and he's doing mini fist bumps every putt, and he, he hung in there. He was there, you know, till the tail end. This kid's 150 to one this week. He's been in contention two of the last four weeks, and he's 150 to one. And don't sleep on the importance of the caddy, you know. And I think I think this guy, and I should know his name. I don't even know his damn name, but this this guy's a great influence on this Sung Kang kid who can play, and he's 150 to one. I'm for the life of me, just after what you saw last week, how's he not 80 to one? No, I like it. I like it. They're very good thoughts. And Brian will have some more thoughts for us over on our Bang the Book YouTube page about the Players' Championship here this week. But you mentioned Augusta. You mentioned the Masters. Let's go to Georgia for a different kind of event here real quick. The Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 is this week's NASCAR race down at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Kevin Harvick, your 5-1 to one favorite. Logano, Keslowski, and Elliott in that second tier in the 65 Seven to one range. Kyle Bush about seven and a half to one. Bowman and Truex, the only other guys under ten to one, but pretty spread out here among the top contenders this week. Not really expecting any long shots to come in here on this one and a half mile track down in Atlanta. So, who are you looking at this week, Brian? I know you're you're on board with Kislowski. He's won here before. I, I'd absolutely be on board with that. The one thing we're getting here now. We're getting different drivers, with the exception of Logano, who's there every week. And I, I you know, you you watch these things, don't you? I mean, on occasion. I mean, you you, you follow it, you watch it a lot, or you just you kind of, you know, yeah, just check I, in on. I watch it when I can. I mean, I handicap right. it, you know, to write the article, but I, I do watch it when I can. Uh, I, uh, this Logano guy, I don't know how. This is a horrible comparison, but it, uh, it he's he's Dale Earnhardt. Senior, I he he just he races everybody so hard, and all these guys let him get away with it. I mean, when he's kind of the, the the intimidator now, and I don't understand how more guys say, "I'm so sick of this guy's crap," and spin him out. He causes accident after accident after accident, takes guys out, and nobody ever gets him back. I, I, I at some point, somebody like you know got to stick up for themselves. The overlay price is Ryan Blaney. He's 12 to 1. He's got a card that's good enough every week. The guy's a snake bit. He keeps getting collected in accidents this past week. Happened to him again. You know, through no fault of his own, Denny Hamlin got loose, hit Keslowski, who hit Blaney. Um, and Keslowski goes on and, and he wins the next stage, and his car wasn't that banged up. But, you know, Blaney's in the garage. But he's got a card that's good enough. I, you know, from a price perspective, I, I think he'd be the, you know, the guy. Look, Alex Bowman's actually, his car's been really good. And I will tell you, the Matt Benedetto guy keeps saying this. I did it in the video last week. If there's group matchups or there are uh, head-to-head matchups, the racing mid-pack, believe me, that's I think that's really where there's money to be made. And this Matt Benedetto guy in the Wood Brothers car, the 21, the guy's driving really well. Got a much better car. You remember him last year? He was just overachieving with subpar equipment. Now he's got a better car. It's still not as good as, you know, the top flight guys. But the Benedetto in matchups is a guy you can look at. And and don't sleep on Tyler Reddick, who he was running second for a long stretch in that race, the rookie. Uh, and, and then he made one mistake, and he got shuffled back 
you know, he fell back to eighth or ninth. But for a long stretch in there, watch for this Tyler Reddick kid uh, in matchups. I think there's a kid that's uh, – there are a number of top five finishes in this kid's future, and you'll be getting a nice plus price on him on matchups coming up. Yeah, Tyler Reddick was really good in the Xfinity Series the last couple of years. I'm going to take Keselowski in the next three races. I hope he wins one of them. They're all mile and a half, Atlanta, Homestead, and Texas. He should get one of them. So hopefully if he's in this 650 range all the way through, I'll have a little bit to show for it at the end. But uh, I'm going to take Keselowski this week. I'm going to take him next week and then take him again at Texas. Not sure who else I'm going to have. I'll handicap that and write up an article here this afternoon over at bangthebook.com. We'll save the college basketball for the next segment with John Ryan, but I know Brian's going to do some of it over on our Bang the Book YouTube page this week with some videos. And, of course, you can check him out all the time on Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how can people check out those two shows of yours? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Brian Blessing, and we'll get you uh, send out the links for the show. And uh, the hockey betting podcast that we're doing with Cam Stewart, uh, we're getting a lot of good feedback on that. It's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, that's available at betchriscanada.net is actually the site where there's written descriptions of our, our plays and the games and the podcast is, uh, I love doing this with you, bud. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. We have great fun doing this. I have a ball with cam and it's a lot of, a lot of fun and a lot of good hockey information. If you like that and the show's noon to two Pacific time Sportsbook radio with the top sportsbook directors in Vegas. And then one to two, we do Vegas hockey Island. Great guests from around the NHL. Uh, yesterday we had the, uh, you know, Golden Knights are playing Edmonton, and we had the beat reporter for the Golden Knights from Edmonton on the show, and it, really good discussion. Thursday they're playing the Wild. We go to Minnesota. We're going to have Pat Micheletti on. Uh, really I- I- excited about you know, the many years of covering hockey in, in the great context, and we get great guests on the hockey show. And it's, it's it, you know, a lot of Golden Knights talk, but believe me, we really dish it around the NHL. If you're a hockey fan, I think people will like that. KSHP.com, there's a listen live function there. And sportsbookradio.com, we put the shows up via archive, my friend. Well, and of course, if you want to brave the coronavirus, you can also find Brian next week with some of those March Madness seminars. Uh, Bang the Book YouTube page, sportsbookradio.com, kshp.com, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Hey, by the way, I know you got to go, but the one thing, yeah, I'll be Thursday, Friday down at the Golden Nugget for the games. Come on down. That'll be fun. Uh, If you're coming in for March Madness, you get in earlier. We're doing a big seminar uh, on the NCAA tournament on Tuesday night. That's at Sunset Station in the showroom at Club Madrid. Be myself, Chuck Esposito, uh, Bruce Marshall, Andy Isco, Bernie Fratto, uh, Hammer and Hank Goldberg, and Kenny White's going to be there. And we're giving away entries to the last man standing contest. But, but more, most importantly, really breaking down the NCAA tournament and specifically uh, what I think are the two best days in sports. Uh, and that's the first two days of March Madness. So that's at Sunset Station next Tuesday night. If people are coming in for the event, it's a lot of fun. Definitely sounds great. And we will talk March Madness. We'll talk probably the first four games next Tuesday on the segment with Brian as well. Brian, always appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for joining me. And we'll talk to you again next week. All right, bud. Look forward to hearing what you and John have to say on College Hoops. Have a good day. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again. Sportsbookradio.com, KSHP.com, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. The seminars, Bang the Book YouTube page. Brian is everywhere here at this time of the year and really throughout the year. And certainly appreciate his segments here on Bang the Book Radio as well. So like I said, we do make that transition over to college basketball now with professional handicapper John Ryan at John Ryan Sports and the number one regular contributor to bangthebook.com. John, how's it going today, man? I'm doing really well, Adam. How about yourself? 
Doing very well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always here. We are going to take deep dives into the Big Ten and the Big East conference tournaments here. But before we get into that specifically, John, bunch of conference tournaments wrapping up here on Tuesday night. Some of them have already wrapped up and a lot of other conference tournaments starting up here. So just as a general rule, looking at conference tournaments as a whole, what are some betting tips that you have for listeners out there? You know, maybe how you handicap it differently than the regular season or just stuff you're kind of looking for. Well, the, the first thing that always comes to mind is the fact that these games are mostly played on neutral courts. So your the, the players' um, sight lines are different. Um, for example, teams that, that are playing at Madison Square Garden or uh, the arena in Indianapolis, it's going to be harder to make shots. Um, teams that rely on the three-point shot especially are going to be affected by the neutral court setting. Um, and some of these neutral court settings are in venues that possibly the whole conference has not played in, and they're just simply using a, an NBA arena. So what that means is that you want to look for the unders. And one that I like um, here off the top of my head that I'll probably never forget for the remainder of my life, because uh, it is a moneymaker, uh, you, you want to get teams that uh, are in a tournament. In other words, there's no rest between games. So they're playing the, at least their second of back-to-back nights against an opponent in the same position. And the under has, has done 65% since 2005. So it's very simple that you, if, it, if both teams have no rest, uh, and the total has to be under 140. I'm sorry, I didn't mention that critical part. So if you're under 140 in the total and both teams are playing back-to-back nights, uh, the under is in play automatically no matter who they are. And that's, that's a blind system that um, has not lost. It's tied one time in those 15 years um, for the season record. All the other years it was profitable. Well, that's important, too, because, again, you know, you get a lot of these back-to-back situations that these teams aren't used to. I mean, the breaking news we mentioned in the top of today's show that everyone probably knows by now, the Ivy League Conference Tournament has been canceled. Yale is the winner because they won the regular season. They'll go to the NCAA Tournament, but that's a conference used to playing back-to-back days. Some of these teams played back-to-back in the early season, you know, uh, showcase tournaments in November or whatever, but they don't do that after that point. So the fatigue factor is a big deal. You know, you just don't have that same kind of life. And also, too, it's win or go home. You know, so maybe you want to tap into that depth a little bit, but maybe you can't. Maybe you don't have that opportunity. You want to ride your best five, six, seven guys, something like that. They wind up with those big workloads and those back-to-back spots can definitely be very challenging. That's another great point. That's another thing that I look at game by game or round by round is the percentage of minutes played by the starters versus the roster. Um, And if that number is, in other words, if the starters are playing more and more minutes than they did during the season average, that's going to increase the fatigue factor. Shots are going to come up short. You know, they're going to hit the front of the rim and they're not just, they're not going to hit shots like they did during the regular season. A little bit, Further along there, if you have a team in that same situation where the starters, uh, and sometimes I include the sixth man too, are playing the majority of the minutes at a level much higher than the season average, 
and are coming off a game where they shot 50% from threes. The under, I forget what it is, but it, it's very, very high. Um, the under is one in, in the high 70s uh, over 15 years. Now, granted, it doesn't come up very often, but when it does, being aware of it obviously is a, is a good thing to know. Yeah, this is definitely the time of the year where you do end up getting a lot of regression to the mean on a game-by-game level, and, and in particular because that fatigue kind of plays a bit of a role here. And look, we could end up with a lot of fatigue in this Big Ten Conference tournament. The bottom four seeds start on Wednesday night, 6 o'clock Eastern, the first game, Northwestern and Minnesota, Nebraska-Indiana after that. The other top 10 seeds kind of start things off a little bit slowly. You've got uh, the the 5 through 10, excuse me, on Thursday. The top four seeds get that double bye into the quarterfinals on Friday. But Wisconsin winds up being the number one seed here in the Big Ten. But in a lot of places, they're a third or fourth favorite here in the six, six and a half to one range. Michigan State, the two seed, they're the favorite pretty much market-wide in that plus 250, plus 275 range. Maryland, the three seed, all those teams tied at 14 and six, but Maryland draws the three seed because of tiebreakers. They're about four to one out there. You've got Michigan priced very low as a team that's made some runs here over the last few years in this conference tournament, despite being a nine seed. You got Illinois and Iowa, the four five. Some people say those are kind of weak four and five teams. Penn State, Ohio State, Rutgers, The thing about this conference, John, is that we've seen the ceiling for everybody and we've seen the floor for pretty much everybody. Now we have to figure out which teams can be the most consistent. Yeah, that's uh, it's very true. This is a a conference where um, only only four of the teams in the whole conference weren't at some point during the regular season ranked in the top 25. And I I can't remember any conference ever achieving that kind of uh, success. Um, now, whether you know the tournament will tell us when we get there how good these teams are, and whether some of the teams that were ranked, uh, maybe the Penn States of the world, uh, where they lose the first game, perhaps, and then of course the media will say that well, the, the Big Ten was overrated. I think everybody who's ever listened to this podcast knows that I firmly believe that this is by far the best and deepest conference in the for the season and in the nation and probably one of the best uh, I've seen in the last 10 years. Um, the quality of play um, is, is just awesome. They, they all, they all take care of the ball, even the, the teams like Nebraska and, and Northwestern. Um, you know, I like to look at assist to turnover ratio. Um, and by the way, on my rankings, Michigan state is the top team. Uh, so I think they're lined properly with the futures as the favorite. Uh, but they're not a favorite by much, as you pointed out. But their assist-to-turnover ratio is 1.48, uh, which this means that they average one-and-a-half assists against one turnover per game, uh, which is very, very high in ranks, very high in the nation. Uh, most college teams are, are in the 1.1. Anything over one at the college level is pretty good. You know, you're getting more assists than committing turnovers. But the whole conference here is above one. Um, so you, Iowa, 1.47, which you would, that's not surprising because they're an offensive juggernaut. Um, and if they could ever learn to play defense consistently, they could easily be a Final Four team. Uh, Michigan's 1.4. Minnesota, 
There's one that's flying under the radar. Uh, if they could find a way to win games instead of, uh, I don't know how many games they've blown double-digit leads, but it, it's it's kind of a shame for for them and their and their fans. Uh, but that Minnesota could be a sleeper in this thing if they get it together. Their ratio is 1.4. Northwestern, who you know is a a very bad record team. Um, they actually would probably be a contender in, in most of the other conferences. Uh, they're 1.34, Penn State 1.33, Wisconsin 126. I think you get the point. Um, a team like Purdue, um, I actually put this out on Twitter. Uh, I saw them on one of the sites at 40 to 1. I think on um, the site I'm looking at now, they're, they're much lower than that. Uh, they're like, well, this is 24 to one to win the tournament, um, the conference tournament. So I see no, I couldn't talk somebody out of not making that bet because there, there is a ton of value in that. They were ranked 23rd in week one and obviously didn't have their act together until basically the last month. Um, now if that trend is, um, is going to continue in the tournament, they, they could be the, uh, the Cinderella team. And I don't mind paying 24 to one to have a, a part of that risk. Um, but the ones I think that can win, um, I like Penn State and Ohio State at eight to one uh, or thereabouts. And it is the time to really shop for the lines because it just kind of hit me that uh, the lines here can be all over the place on the web and whether you actually can get that price um, and, and place the bet is, you know, that remains to be seen. But Shopping for the lines, I think, is a is a really good thing. And um, I was just thinking, Adam, you you like the rollover too? I think uh, in these tournaments, is that right? Yeah, the, the money line rollover, as a general rule, is probably going to wind up being much better than the futures price. The thing that's really difficult, though, about a conference like this, and, and I remember this. I think I wrote about, I want to say it was maybe Minnesota against Maryland or or somebody like that here in this conference where I think it was a, it was a late February game and Minnesota's like a, you know, 500 or below 500 level team in conference play. And they're taking out one of the top three teams in this conference and the lines like, you know, Maryland pick them or something like that. Yep. It's like the, the differences between these teams, even though you've got some that have good records and some that have bad records are very, very small within the way that they're ranked. You know, it's just, some teams have won the close games and some teams haven't. Some teams are maybe a little bit more consistent than others, but you're running into situations here where, you know, you may get a game that's something like, you know, a 10 versus two or, well, maybe not with Michigan state, but you may get a game that's, you know, Rutgers in Wisconsin or, or Michigan and Wisconsin. That's an eight or nine versus one game. That line's not going to be that big. And in other conferences, you see an eight or nine versus a one and it's seven, eight, 10, 12 points, whatever the case may be, it's probably you know, two and a half or three in a conference like this. So the futures prices are reflective of that in the market in the sense that you've got a bunch of teams here that are 10 to one or lower just because these teams are generally rated pretty close together. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm just looking at the, uh, the, the metrics I use to uh, calculate the anticipated odds for a game. And um, Michigan State is number one, like I said. But Michigan State, uh, with the exception of, um, of Northwestern and Nebraska, uh, they would be favored by no more 
than six points on a neutral court. So if they would end up playing in Minnesota, um, I would line them at six and a half. Of course, the public's going to be all over Michigan State, so you would expect the lines maker maybe to make it eight. Um, but to your point, there would be no double-digit favorites um, for the whole tournament. I would be shocked if there is a, a double-digit uh, favorite in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, outside of, you know, maybe if Northwestern or Nebraska advances, something like that. But certainly looks like they're going to have an uphill climb with Minnesota and Indiana in those first-round games there on Wednesday. So, John, what do we do here? I mean, you know, we, we know that these lines are going to be tight. We know that these games are going to come down to, you know, probably the last few possessions or, you know, maybe the free throw line, something like that. What, what do we do here? I mean, who do you kind of like in this tournament? And, you know, are there any, you know, maybe matchup specific games as we look down the line where you're going to look to make some ATS plays? Well, free throw percentage now becomes a, a big factor, uh, even bigger than the regular season, of course. So Michigan State is on top in the uh, the conference in free throw percentage at roughly 75%. Now, again, we have the consistency here. Uh, by tenths of a percent less, Maryland, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Iowa are all basically shooting the same free throw percentage. Uh, so then you have to go and dig into the players uh, that are going to be getting the ball and the ones that shoot 88%. Um, and that obviously gives a little bit of a lean towards the Michigan State's. Um, Michigan State and, and Penn State uh, free throw percentage late in the game is um, are the tops. So, you know, a team like um, you know Nebraska is shooting sixty one percent from the free throw line. They're, I don't expect them to to win, even though they did beat. Um, they didn't beat. I confused that with Northwestern being Penn State last week. So scratch that. I think Nebraska's lost sixteen or seventeen in a row. Um, so Nebraska is not going to advance. That would be a shocker. Um, so the other game is Indiana and Northwestern. Um, and Indiana is a, not a bad free throw shooting team at 68%. Um, but they're, they're going to be good enough to get, uh, through and into the next round. I think they then play Iowa. So the, you know, that's the mystery of the whole tournament is Iowa. I always come in my brain. I'm trying to figure this out and then have like a, you know, a, a perfect bracket just for a conference would be nice. Um, and Iowa was the real wild card because of that defense. Um, you know, we know they can score a ton of points. They can score a hundred on any given night, pretty much against anybody. Um, so that Iowa is, is a team I think I would back uh, because I don't want to call them a loose cannon at them, but they're, you know, they're like a gun. They're the gunslinger. That's the word I'm looking for. They're the gunslinger in the Big Ten. Let's well, see. And, and that's the thing, too, is, you know, you, you try in a conference tournament like this, I think, to find a ceiling, you know, because you know that you've got certain baselines for these teams, but which team has the chance of playing, you know, highest above its baseline? And, for Iowa, if they play really well offensively, how bad is that defense? Or I guess the better question is, how well does the opposition shoot against them? You know, I think for Michigan State, we know that defensively they're very, very good. They're tops in two-point percentage defense, tops in three-point percentage defense. Their biggest problem all year long has been 
they don't force turnovers. They don't get extra possessions. So to me, I think a team like Michigan State, while we know they're very good defensively and we know they're pretty solid offensively, if they don't shoot well and they get fewer chances because they don't force turnovers, then what happens to them? I think Michigan State almost has, as crazy as this sounds, a higher risk of ruin than some of the other teams that are out there just because other teams may generate extra possessions or may have a higher offensive ceiling or something like that. So that's kind of what led me towards Iowa in this conference tournament is that I know they're terrible defensively. I am fully aware of that, but they could shoot the lights out. And if they shoot the lights out four days in a row, they can win this thing. I think that they just have kind of that higher upside when you look at this field as a whole. And then you get a question with a team like Wisconsin, for example, to where you know they play teams in Iowa and Illinois that maybe have some level of upside, but also maybe have a lower floor to where Illinois struggles to score. Iowa struggles to play defense. Wisconsin, by drawing the number one seed, may actually have the best path to the championship game because they don't play Ohio State. They don't play Penn State. They don't play Michigan State. They don't play Maryland. So that's kind of the way that you sort of want to narrow this thing down on a round-by-round, you know, uh, go from a macro to a micro level type of thing here. That's just sort of the way that I kind of approach this one because, again, like we've already established, nine of these teams could win this thing, maybe 10 if you like Purdue, and not a single one of them would shock me. Yeah, I agree with that. The, the, the shocking uh, factor is, is pretty minimal here because you'd go, yeah, well, I, I can see that. Um, but I, along the lines of what you're talking about, Wisconsin comes into this thing, the number one seed, and they've won eight in a row. So in terms of a ceiling, this is the question. Are they at the ceiling now? Did they actually go past their ceiling and now they're going to you know, crash and burn in the, in the first game? Uh, you would think not because they're so disciplined with the ball. And to your point, they don't they don't look to force turnovers. They look to rebound the basketball and then minimize the opponent's second chance scoring opportunities. Um, which, in many ways, I've done some tests on that. And when you minimize uh, offensive rebounds of an opponent, you're that's basically like a turnover. You know, you're limiting the number of possessions they have, and in so doing, and it's not rocket science. The less possessions you have, the fewer points that you're probably going to score. So it's hard to think that Wisconsin is um, is due for a, a fallback. What they are due for, though, and it just hit my my brain here, is they teams that uh, have the longest rest, uh, the double bye, for example, in the Big Ten, and you get a, a team playing on back-to-back nights. That team on back-to-back nights, especially if it's if it's the underdog, and it, it will be in this conference. Um, the, the team that hasn't played can start out pretty slow, uh, believe it or not. Even though they're the number one seed or number two, three, or four, um, the fact that they haven't played in five days, it, it sometimes works against them. Uh, so that will be something to look at, uh, too, when Wisconsin finds out who their opponent's going to be. Penn State is on a three-game losing streak. So, um, you know, my... I'm still on the on the wagon, Adam, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm needing some uh, Knob Creek to keep me on it. Uh, they just they look really tired in the last, uh, especially the last game. Um, you know, senior night didn't go well either. Uh, so the, I think the rest for them is huge. Uh, they're going to play the winner of um, the 
Nebraska game, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they you would think that they would advance. And then um, where the heck's my bracket? Well, I guess the last thing I'll ask you about here, and then we'll transition over to the Big East just to make sure we get to spend a good amount of time on that. You know, again, these are such unique scenarios because everything is neutral site for the most part, at least in these, you know, big conference tournaments, everything's neutral site. And you've got the back-to-back factors. So how much of this is about reliance on your machine learning tools and how much of this is maybe on some of the less quantifiable factors, like what you're seeing with your eyes or what you kind of you know, believe to be true about this type of format? Well, they call it March Madness for a reason. Uh, the machine learning tools uh, have learned from the, you know, the decades of data. Uh, but I found that the machine learning uh, value of it uh, becomes diminished. It's it's not as accurate. It's not as um, when I say accurate, it's not in terms of maybe against the spread. But there could be a game where uh, let's use an example: Penn State um, is playing Indiana, and Penn State's supposed to is projected to score seventy five points and have the uh, better assist to turnover ratio. So. You plug that into the database and you find out how they've done as a precedent for those two parameters. Um, and let's say that uh, during the regular season, it hits 85%. And games where they achieved those performance measures, that was the result. Uh, but in the, in the tournaments, it's less. So it could be still on the winning side of above 50%, certainly, but it might be 65%. Um, and there's more... Uh, times where I could be dramatically wrong uh, and that's part of the madness so you could have a situation where Penn State was supposed to do that but then they score 55 points and turn the ball over 22 times um, and those are the things that you know I'm, I'm not aware of any tool out there or coding uh, process that can uh, anticipate when a team is really going to light it up or when they're really going to you know crap the bed uh, but that's the that's the wonderful thing about the the tournament. What I try to focus on is the the ones that are more methodical. Like we mentioned the the under system, uh, which applies. And there's another one that I can I can read off here as well. Uh, this one is 82 percent over the last 15 seasons, and this one has not had a losing season. Um, and if you don't write this down, you can always direct message me on Twitter, and I'll and I'll feed it back to you. Uh, but the system goes to play under neutral court teams where the totals between 130 and 140. And it's a below average shooting team, not a horrible team, but they're at least making 42% of their shots on the season. And they're coming off a game where they made 50% or more of their three pointers. That's 23 and five under 82%. If you want more action, um, more games, in other words, to bet on, um, a total of 140 neutral site teams hitting 42% um, and shot 50% from the field in their last game. That's uh, 40 and 19 um, over the last 15 years. So it's ones like that that I like. I like playing, and of course I have you know dozens of others that are on the sides because uh, I'm more of a side player than a, a total. Uh, but I think we both agree that the for whatever reason, um, I don't mind being like if the public is all over and under, 
and that system I just read is on the under, and the machine learning is on the under, I'm taking the under. Um, that sentiment that we've talked about for several shows, uh, where the percentage of bets is above 75% is a red flag. Well, in the tournament, it, it's still a red flag to me, but it's not one that disqualifies the opportunity. So it's um, maybe I'm, I'm fighting myself um, by making the bet because I all of a sudden changed the rules from the regular season to the postseason. But I think it's it's making the point of what is different. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's what we've kind of always talked about here on this show is that you've really got three college basketball seasons within a season. You've got non-conference, conference play, and the postseason. And the postseason is just an altogether different animal, not just with what's at stake, but also, again, you know, with the rest factors that do come into play here. And with that, we talk Big East Conference Tournament here, Madison Square Garden for this one. Ten teams on hand, Creighton, Villanova, Seton Hall, all tying atop the conference at 13-5. and five. But Creighton winds up the number one, Villanova the two, Seton Hall the three. And if you look out there, some places do have Seton Hall the favorite, despite how they wrapped up the regular season. They're plus 250 at bet online. Uh, they're a little bit higher than that, I think plus 340 uh, over at Five Diamonds, where all three teams, Creighton, Villanova, and Seton Hall, plus 340. Then you've got teams like Butler that are very capable. Providence, it's been maybe the best team in this conference over the last three or four weeks. Uh, you've got Marquette, who's a very good team. Xavier's made some runs, but by and large with Chris Mack at the helm for those. So what are you kind of looking at here from the Big East, John, as far as you know, sort of a, a general perspective on the way that this conference is seated and the way that these teams come in? Well, I think the, the biggest news... Um on my tablet these days is the is on Creighton and their their guard Marcus Zagorowski is is doubtful uh for at least the first game of the Big East tournament and perhaps the whole tournament uh he was injured in the last game um because it was his right knee right right kneecap injury that um is maybe going to eliminate him for the whole tournament and he's a pretty big part of that offense uh that when it had Offense is running well, like we saw against Seton Hall this last game. There's no stopping them. Um, and I've been hearing that there's been significant bets uh, by respected professionals out in Vegas that are, are backing Creighton to win the whole thing. Not just the Big East, but the NCAA. Um, now, the, the good news is um, on their roster, um, there's a guy that uh, played... Uh, Denzel Mahoney um, subbed for him in a game earlier this season. And he's been pretty much their sixth man coming off the bench. And he's averaging 12 points a game, 24 minutes. Um, and he scored 16 points in last week's game, in which that was a game that um, Zagorowski played almost the whole game until he got hurt late in the fourth quarter. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned um, about that offense still remaining well, because the guy who's coming in for Zagorowski is, is pretty darn good in his own right, and he's not a freshman. Um, and that, you know, that brings up another thing with freshmen in, in both these conferences and, and in the NCAA tournament is, you know, they're going to these uh, conference tournaments for the first time, and it might be the first time to that venue. And again, the sight lines are huge, and I, you know, have friends that have played basketball and back in, you know, when I was younger, it's true. You get into a different gym and all of a sudden you can't hit the side of a barn door. 
until you get accustomed to the surroundings. And then all of a sudden, the, you're warming up in the game, and now all of a sudden, there's people moving around in the background. Um, and that's, that's pr- pretty difficult to uh, overcome in some cases. And then, again, that supports that whole thing with the under. Um, but I still like Creighton a lot uh, to win this, this conference tournament. And uh, I also I have a, a liking on Villanova as well. Now, the Villanova situation is, is a wild card because they're, they're very young. Um, but their freshmen, um, uh, Robinson Earl and, and Moore, have really, really stepped up uh, their game. And is, they've contributed a lot to where Villanova is at a, a point now where they, they could win the tournament and much more. Uh, those two players are playing at a very high level, and you would never know uh, they're freshmen. They look pretty seasoned. But again, that's a reflection of you know how the Big Ten and Big East are, in my opinion. That you know they're all all these teams are battle tested when they go to the NCAA tournament, and if they're playing against a team that is not, um, you know, Gonzaga always comes to my mind. Uh, very very good team, no doubt about it. But they don't play anybody, um, and they barely beat San Francisco last night. They probably should have lost, actually. But you, you understand my point. There's no team like that in this conference that uh, doesn't have a lot of scars on them. So uh, Creighton, at, I'm seeing them at 4-1. to one. Uh, They're actually listed third at this particular book. Um, and, of course, you know, DePaul, St. John's, uh, Georgetown are uh, long shots at 33, 45, and 55-1. to one. Um but St. John's is a team um, basically playing at their home court, which I'm sure you're aware of, Adam. And I think, who do they take on in the first game? I think it's Providence, isn't it? No, it's uh, Creighton. St. John's plays Georgetown. And then if they beat Georgetown, they'd wind up playing Creighton. And quite frankly, yep. that's a scary game to me for Creighton. And you wouldn't think that it would be, but you look at this St. John's team, and I imagine this is kind of where you were going with St. John's. Highest turnover percentage on defense in the conference, lowest turnover percentage on offense in the conference. So they don't make a lot of shots. They don't shoot it very well, but they take care of the basketball and they get their extra possessions. And what worries me about Creighton here in a venue like Madison Square Garden, which is tuned towards the under in college basketball. And in fact, it's a pretty solid under at that. It's one of those spots to me where if Creighton doesn't shoot well, and if they don't have Zegarowski, who was their highest assist man during the regular season, kind of the facilitator of the offense and a 42% three-point shooter, St. John's could beat them. And what makes that so interesting is that if Creighton has to spend a lot of energy against St. John's and they do win that game, I don't think Providence or Butler is a walkthrough in the semifinals for them. So Creighton worries me a little bit here in this conference. I understand why you like them. And I understand why a lot of smart people like them, too, because they shoot threes. You know, they shoot a lot of threes, and they get a lot of high-percentage looks from two. That's kind of the direction of analytics in college basketball now. So they fit that mold. They fit that criteria. But I also think in a situation like this, St. John's could beat them. If St. John's doesn't, they may be tenderized enough for a Providence or a Butler to to take them down in the semis. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. That's the um, – that sums it up with Creighton. But I think if Creighton gets 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 through, they're probably going to meet up against Villanova or Seton Hall. But, again, the, Seton Hall is playing the sixth seed Marquette. Um, 
and that and that's that's not an automatic win into the semis by by any stretch of the imagination. And you know they've had their cage rattled here pretty good coming down the stretch. So confidence level can't be anywhere where it once was uh, for the the Pirates. But uh, that you're right. That Saint Saint John's game. I bet you Creighton would rather play Georgetown. And again, I mean, maybe it doesn't, you know, hijack a Creighton future, but I, I can just tell you, I'll probably be on St. John's against the spread there in that early game on Thursday. Like you said, I mean, St. John's plays in this venue, very accustomed to it. Creighton playing that early start time will be a pro St. John's crowd for, you know, however sparsely attended that game winds up being. And again, that's also something you want to take a look at here in these conference tournaments. We've kind of talked about them from a future standpoint here, but in terms of narrowing this stuff down a little bit more game by game on more of a micro level here, you know, let's say Xavier ends up beating DePaul as they probably should. I don't think Xavier matches up particularly well with Villanova. What worries me for Villanova is if they played three games in three days, they have virtually no bench to rely on. They use their starting five very, very heavily. That's not really the way it's been for Jay Wright's teams of late. But again, they get that shot against Xavier where I think it's a very favorable matchup for them. Seton Hall with Marquette, kind of Miles Powell versus Marcus Howard there. You know, as you start looking at a game-by-game level, it does open up a lot of opportunities here as well. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, you know, the, the players on the court are, are pretty young, uh, so I don't think there's any uh, issue with fatigue going back-to-back. Uh, but I think when you go three in a row and you're used to playing two games a week, uh, with two or three days rest in between each one. I think that's a, a big shock to the the body, no matter what your age is. Uh, so that's a, that's a very good point. So I know you said that you like Creighton here. With the machine learning tools, I mean, how do you sort of rank the other teams here in this conference? Well, let's pull up that page. Um, in this in this conference, uh, I do have Creighton. Is uh, if Creighton faced Villanova in the final, which is Villanova's number two team, uh, Creighton would be favored by three. Um, if believe it or not, Butler is number three. Really? So there's, there's yep. Is there's, it is it a defense thing? Uh, yet on them it is. Um, this is an overall rating. So uh, offensively, the defensive rating is is not quite as good as uh, some of the others in the conference, but it, it's at the top. And like we had talked about with the Big Ten, with the exception of DePaul, all these teams have the potential to, to win a game against each other on any given night. Um, Creighton's offense is, is by far the best offense, and they're, um, you know, they're prone to the, the surroundings, too. Uh, they shoot a, a ton of threes. Uh, not the highest in the conference, but they do rely on that open jump shot. They, let's get back to the one. They average, um, in terms of assist to field goals made, which is one that I like, um, they're second at 0.57. Uh, Providence is top in the conference. So talk about ball movement and why Providence has been playing so well of late. It's usually ball movement. It's a for some reason, Adam. It's a lot easier to hit a shot without a hand in your face than when it is not in your face. And it's a uh, it's one of my coaching points. So the assist uh, to turnover ratio, uh, Creighton is one point five. Again, that's up there in the leagues of the Michigan States. 
Uh, Villanova second, 1.4. St. John's, 1.37. And then it drops down to 1.19 for Butler. Seton Hall, 1.15. And although that's good, Adam, for Seton Hall to be at 1.15, it's it's really not what I'd like to see for a conference champion or a Final Four team. You know, at 1.33 and above, and that's one of the criteria to make a Final Four, uh, come to think of it. So, you know, Marquette is is not a good uh, ball handling team, and we were talking about a possible upset with them over Seton Hall. Uh, and Xavier is is tied with Marquette, second to last in the conference in ATR. So, you know, machine learning the again, it's like the example with the um, um, example I did in the Big Ten. So Creighton is is always going to have uh, projections of 78 or more points. And I can tell you off the top of my head, because I've run them so many times, that when Creighton scores uh, 81 or holds their opponent under 65, that winning percentage is very, very high. Uh, so you would look for a matchup of um, you know Creighton playing. Um, it would have to be a pretty good upset here. Like a, just say hypothetically, Creighton ends up playing a Butler. Uh, where they uh, could reasonably expect to hold them to under 65 points, uh, then you then that's starting to to set up the the betting opportunity. Um, the flip side of this is with Creighton scoring uh, so many points per game and leading the conference by a pretty wide margin, especially in conference games. They're scoring 78.3 against the the teams in the tournament. Uh, second is Villanova at 73. I'm sorry, St. John's is actually second at 74, and then uh, then Villanova. So with that kind of edge, they're going to have to also shoot. You know, they can have an off night and still win the game. Uh, but if they're if they're on, I don't see anybody in the tournament that can keep pace with them. And at that point, the defensive part of it doesn't really matter. So I think uh, looking ahead, the the machine learning stuff is going to look for those gaps between the offensive metrics and the defensive uh, metrics, meaning the differentials. So if a team is uh, posting a differential of, uh, say, 6.83 points like Creighton is, and all of a sudden the projections come out uh, that Creighton's going to win the game by 12, that's six points over the, the average conference scoring differential. And if the line... Um, is, you know, I'm just throwing this out there. If the line is six, we have a value right there of six points because the projections are saying that they're going to win by 12. Um, so I hope that made sense where I was trying to get through there. Yeah, it definitely does. And again, it's it's very important to find all of the different means of breaking down these conference tournaments. And John helps us out with that over at bangthebook.com. you got to look at the Big Ten Conference Tournament, look at the Big East Conference Tournament coming up here today. And of course, as always, you can follow John on Twitter at John Ryan Sports and the number one. John, what are people going to get from you if they follow you on Twitter? I, I throw out systems every day. Um, I actually uh, sell some systems on uh, KillerSports.com, which is a pretty popular site. Uh, and I sell my subscriptions out there. So I w- wanted to run a special for the NCAA tournament of uh, $79 for the whole tournament. And um, I really haven't lost my mind. But if it loses, I'll give you the rest of the NBA season for free. 
Uh, my goal is to is to uh, hopefully help as many people as I can learn more about using advanced analytics uh, to your advantage in betting and and uh, maybe someday actually doing it on your own, um, which is I find incredibly incredibly fun to do. Um, so I, I get to I like meeting the people that um, are the new followers and and getting to know what they like, what they don't like, uh, what they want to get out of it, what even stuff that I can provide to to help. Uh, so that's that's the goal, and that's the reason for the the cheap price as well. Well, make sure you follow John on Twitter once again. That's at John Ryan Sports and the number one, and check out his stuff on the Big East and the Big Ten over at BangTheBook.com. John, always a pleasure. Thanks for breaking it down for us. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week in advance of March Madness. You got it, Adam. Can't wait. Thank you. There you go. There's John Ryan once again, professional handicapper at John Ryan Sports and the number one on Twitter. And check out his work over at bangthebook.com. Coming up on our Wednesday edition of the program, we're going to chat conference tournaments with Brad Powers, professional handicapper over at bradpowersports.com. We're also going to talk with Wes Reynolds of VEASAN. And maybe have one more guest for you on the Wednesday show. Keep in mind, Thursday, no full show, only my MLB betting podcast, the betters box, and then no show on Friday. Same thing next week. We'll go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, betters box, nothing on Friday with the first round of the NCAA tournament. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.